Shut up and sit down. Got a lot to cover today, as I've been out for practically a full week. So I'll cover what I was doing over the past week, and then we'll uh, go over some of these highlight news stories. There's a lot to talk about. So tighten your seatbelt and get ready, because this is FritzCast. It's Wednesday, April 12th, 2017. Yeah, we got a funky theme going on here, and we're doing it on a Wednesday. Why? Well, hey, I think I told you last week that you'd have to keep your ears peeled for uh, when, when the next Fritz cast would be. And that's because Tuesday last week, right after my wife got off of work, so it was around 5 o'clock-ish in the afternoon, um, she took my car to work, and I packed up her car, the uh, the brand new 2017 Kia Sorento. Inquire at your local Kia. Not an ad, just a suggestion. And we proceeded to drive all the way to the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And when we drive, when me and my wife drive anywhere, uh, especially halfway across the country, most people know that's about a 1,500-mile trip. 1,500 miles. We drive straight through. There's there's none of this stop at a hotel and, and get a good night's rest and break it up over two days or whatever. We don't do that. We 20 hours or 22 hours, whatever it equates to being, because you do pass through the time zone, so you jump back an hour in process of your trip. And the only breaks we take are gassing up the car and then hitting up the occasional rest area for bathroom breaks and stretching and all that. Other than that, just 20 or 22 hours straight driving. Sometimes it's 24 uh, a whole day, but we'd rather just grit through the whole day and get to where we're going and then uh, adjust as needed when we get there. Uh, it saves money, believe it or not, uh, because gassing up and driving is actually cheaper, is still the cheapest route of travel. If you go on, there, there's a couple different websites where you can go Get estimates on exactly how much it'll cost you, so you can have a borderline idea of how much you're going to pay. And it, this is we've done this several times. Uh, when you have grandparents that live in Oklahoma and you want to go visit them once a year, you, you drive out to Oklahoma. Or at least we do. And if you ever wanted to test the bounds of your love or your relationship, I would I would highly suggest locking yourself in a moving vehicle and plot a trip for about 20 hours. And just drive and switch off while you guys take naps and try to entertain each other. And if you don't kill each other, then it's it is probably you probably love each other. Then I mean, you'll want to kill each other. People who love each other want to kill each other seventy percent of the time. I think so. <laughs> it's a great way to t- test the bounds of your relationship. So we drove out to Texas, had a fine drive down. No problems, no issues, no nothing. We get to Texas, which is ginormous, by the way, but it is also very beautiful there. It's big, beautiful, open. You just feel different when you're in Texas. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but we check in with uh, my wife's family, who we're staying with, get settled in, 
and hey, we're ready to roll. We're ready to rock and roll. We got there Wednesday, sometime in the afternoon. It was like four, four o'clock in the afternoon, I assume. So you know, you get there, you chill, and then we just flow into a normal day. So we stay up about the time that we're gonna stay up to on a normal night and go to bed, and then we're we're rocking. We're in normal days. We were down there to see uh, my wife's brother, Drew, get married to his bride, Caitlin. Or if you listen to the pastor man who conducted the marriage ceremony, Drew was the bride. And what a beautiful bride he was. Let me just let me just say that he looked damn beautiful. No homo. But so did Caitlin. And they had a wonderful wedding. Congratulations to you both. If you're listening, if you're not, I don't know what you do with your lives. Uh, because this right here is A, informative, and B, entertaining. So so they got married Saturday. That was Saturday's affairs. And that that was a wedding that took place at 7 o'clock at night. I don't know what it is, but it, something in my head said, don't weddings happen like during the daytime or like sometime in the afternoon? Not 7 o'clock at night, but it worked out perfectly. Had, got married at 7 o'clock at night, rolled into uh, the after party. Uh, the the reception reception uh, rolled in from eight o'clock until about ten p.m. eleven p.m. and and it was it was awesome it was great and then Sunday we had a nice beautiful Easter time with her family and then Monday we packed up and left but while we were down in Texas on Thursday I actually did a very nerdy uh, well, personally to me, nerdy, dorky thing. I got tickets to sit in on uh, Glenn Beck's studio audience show. See, Glenn Beck does the Glenn Beck radio program every day from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern Standard Time, which you can listen to on the radio. You can go on theblaze.com and stream it. It's probably on a local station for you, and it's on Sirius XM satellite radio. But he also does, uh, for his television station the, the blaze he he does a an evening program one hour every day and they're different ones uh, monday it's the think tank it's like him and a whole team of people from the blaze sitting down discussing current events really cool because you have a diverse body of people sitting and talking about and discussing politics and current events and the news and it, it just gives you different perspectives which is always a good thing Tuesdays, he does something like history, where he picks one person, does an hour-long biopic on them, so to speak. Wednesdays, it's it's another think tank, or it's uh, something else in his programming. Thursday, it's usually a studio audience sit-down interview thing. So we went to this, we got tickets, and, and it was a small group of people that went this time. It was probably like 15 to 20 people that went. Um... So he likes to do these things, and, and sometimes he has big audiences, and sometimes he has the little, smaller, more intimate audiences. He interviewed Brian Fillier, who's the author of The First Love Story, Adam, Eve, and Us. And at first, like, for instance, my wife is not very uh, religious type of person. Me, I'm more agnostic now. I place myself in that category of I hope to hell there's a God and I hope to hell that evil people will have to pay <laughs> because this world is very unfair. We'll get to that in a minute. But I also am very nerdy. I, I think my wife would attest to this and I think a lot of other people would attest to the fact that 
I am kind of like a sponge when it comes to stuff. If I find it even mildly interesting, I like to pick it apart and, and figure things out about it. That's what this Brian Fillier guy does. Um, we sat down in this thing thinking that it was going to be some big religious type of thing. Well, Glenn Beck opened with an amazing poem that I had never heard before. It's titled The Gods of the Copybook Headings by Rudyard Kipling. And the funny thing about this poem, and it's amazing, it, it, it really is an amazing piece of uh, of literature. Uh, it was published in 1919 in one book, and Glenn even says that after he reads it to the audience. And Glenn Beck, whether you like him or not, he is actually a very good dramatic reader. He, he can read very well out loud, especially on the fly. I'm sure he'd read this poem before probably a dozen times before, but he sat in front of the audience, very close up to all of us, with uh, the, the, the poem written out on a piece of paper, and he starts reading it to open the show. And then he brings in Brian Fillier, and this is what really interested me about that conversation with Brian talking about this book that he wrote. And I have to apologize, it's Bruce Filer. That's his name, Bruce Filer. I feel like a dolt screwing up that, especially because I tweeted him after watching, after sitting through the show. Bruce has has this very long, interesting story. He was actually riddled with cancer, close to dying, and then got cured. But Bruce travels the world, and and he he does a series on PBS, I believe it is, Walk Walking the Bible. For somebody who, like me, is kind of lost spiritually, as I like to explain it, this guy does some very interesting things. He looks at the Bible, and he actually tries to find original meanings and all that. He broke down the Adam and Eve story, which I'm sure if I mention it right now, the Adam and Eve story, most of you probably have some kind of idea or concept in your head that goes, Adam was created, Eve was created from the rib, Eve screwed up. Uh, took took the fr- forbidden fruit, ruined everything, and they're cast out of the garden, and then life as we know it sucks, and here we are today. That's probably like the, the short, short and inappropriate version <laughs> of the story today. Bruce sat there and broke down all these misconceptions with the story, with how the Bible was translated and retranslated and retranslated and how religion kind of used the Adam and Eve story to put women down from the beginning. And I was like, whoa. It's like, hold on. What the hell is he talking about? And then he, he even broke it down. Like the passage about how Eve is created from the rib of Adam, he said that that is actually wrong. He said that they picked that word because the rib is, is you know, some non-important piece that... Uh, you know, that, that if you left it on the roadside, will will rot and, and fester. And so, you know, oh, look, that's the woman. The woman came from the man and, and yada, yada. Very interesting take on it. Made me think, wow, everything that I've been taught up to this point doesn't seem to make sense anymore. And that's what's interesting about this Bruce character is the fact that he will dive in find the deeper or original meanings and roll from there with it, which which is very, very, I think, crucial to Christianity 
in this day and age. Especially because I, I've always been one of those Christians, and, and this might tune people out, it, it, whatever. I've always been one of those Christians to say the Bible is not word for word exact. That's how it happened, and that's the way it is. And I believe that with good reason, because you're talking about a book that was translated and then retranslated and then retranslated and then went through periods of time where, you have to be willing to admit, mankind took it and changed it to fit their own molds. It's part of the problem that I have with religion today. Uh, And then when I say religion, I'm specifically talking about denominations, churches, things of that nature. I have a very complex view about that, and I intend to put out an episode on it sometime in the near future with guests because I I just can't ramble on religion just all by myself. There'll be guests on that show. Long story short, though, it was one hour of pretty interesting dialogue and discussion. And to my understanding, he had this guy on the radio show prior to interviewing him for this hour block, so I need to go back and listen to that. And I would suggest you do as well, if you find that kind of thing interesting. But that was my cool, nerdy moment. I got to go sit in Mercury Radio Studios, which is like a dream come true to me, like a nerd like me. Got to sit there, and I got to sit feet away from Glenn Beck and and watch him do this whole thing. Yeah, there was no meet and greet. Yeah, there was no tour. I don't care. It didn't cost me anything. It was free tickets to sit and sit in there and watch an interesting discussion that opened up my mind and made me think a little bit differently, and I, I like that. Now, I mentioned I believed he was on the radio show. Yeah, that's right. Over the course of, the, of this last week, uh, since I've been on vacation, I haven't been tuning in to the Blaze every day. I haven't been listening to my radio shows or my podcasts on the normal level. And rightfully so. I was on vacation. I wanted a break from this stuff. But you don't. You know what you don't get a break from? You don't get a break from the news. All right? I, I tried to stay off my phone during the course of vacation. My wife might not actually agree with that, but I think most of the time it was actually away, and I was reading my book. I'm reading Gods and Generals right now by uh, Jeff Shahara. Excellent book so far. I'm only about halfway through. Way different. However, I, I just like that the fact that it's this fictional story wrapped around an actual historical event, and and a lot of the characters, um, a lot of the actual real people, have real elements of their lives uh, torn into the story, and it's it's very beautifully written. I would suggest getting it. So I, I tried to stick to book reading. I played a little bit too much Nintendo uh, 3DS. By the way, don't play 3DS on 3D mode in a moving car. It, it, it's not a good combination for you. As much as I tried to stay away from my phone, uh, I still caught the news. Uh, a lot of the wacky, crazy news that went on. And I'm probably doing these out of order, and I don't really care right now. This is coming. This is still unwinding from vacation and not wanting to go back to prison. Yeah. For those of you who are first-time listeners, I, I am a correctional sergeant. And I am very much looking forward to going back to prison tonight. One of the top stories on my mind is, of course, the United Airlines, which I'm sure I don't have to actually tell you anything about. I'm sure you already know about it. 
sure you already watched the video, United Airlines ended up dragging a man off of a plane. You know, a paying customer, a guy, you know, paid for his ticket and all that, ended up dragging him off of a plane because they needed seats for, I believe it was four pilots. They needed to fly four pilots on this flight in particular to the destination they were going to because they were flying the planes at that destination. United, as does any airline, overbooks flights because people cancel at the last minute or they no-show, and then you have seats that are still open, but you overbook a flight, and then, you know, boom. You don't you just shuffle some seats around, maybe, and you get the uh, outcome, and you still get all the money and all that jazz. Basically, United had one seat open for one of the pilots, and they needed three additional seats. So, they stand up, they start pretty much auctioning off the seat. You know, hey, look, uh, we need to get these pilots on this flight. $100 to anybody who wants to take it. We need three spots. Nobody bites. 200 300 400 500 I think they go up to $800. And nobody bites. Well, they need to get people off this plane now. They've overbooked. They need to get their employees to the next flight. You're talking about you, you really are talking about inconveniencing three people on this flight versus an entire flight or flights wherever they're going. The, the, the solution for airline, for United Airline, is, is pretty simple. Get three people off of that plane so that you don't inconvenience 75 people. Or 30 people or 50 people, however many it was. So, United then states, after their $800 mark, okay, we're going to just randomly draw, and if we pick your name, you're off the flight. They draw two people, kick them off the flight. They're a little belligerent, but it is what it is. They, they walk away, they still get the offer for the money and, and, and the buyout of their seat. They still get that, getting kicked off the plane. Well, then they get to this guy, this 69-year-old man, I believe. Also, who claimed to be a doctor, and it turns out he is a doctor of sorts. Well, he refuses. And mind you, the airline did try to auction off seats and did try to get people to volunteer and all that. They already kicked two people off. They get to him, and he refuses. He refuses to move. Now, on one end, he's a paying customer. He paid for the seat. United owes him an arm and a leg, as far as I'm concerned, because he paid for the ticket to be on this flight. Some people can't afford to take that kind of a hit, uh, 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 being a day late or whatever. He refuses to move. United calls Chicago Aviation Security. Those officers come on the plane, forcibly remove the man from the plane. They drag him off. Um, the video shows him kicking and screaming. His face hits uh, an armrest. He's bloodied up. He's beaten. They drag him off the plane. At some point, he escapes them and runs back onto the plane and shouts, just kill me, just kill me, just kill me. Let's break this down real quick. Let's break this down. All right, two people had already been forced off the plane. They complied. All right, it sucks. You can cuss. You can be distraught. You don't have to go politely. Definitely, you don't have to go politely. I think you're perfectly fine if they have this flight and they're trying to remove people to accommodate employees for whatever purpose. 
you have absolutely every right to be angry. And United owes you something. Uh, whether it's a free flight on the next immediate flight or a free flight, a dinner, a hotel stay, and uh, extra cash. Whatever it is, they owe you. I perfect. I, I 100% believe that. However, let's let's just let's just real talk. Um, after people have already been forcibly removed, and the flight mind you mind you tries auctioning off seats and says, "All right, well then we're doing a random drawing." Well, at that point, everybody's consenting to it. It doesn't matter whether you want it to happen or not. That's the point that the airline's at. So they do a random drawing. They kick two people off, and you want to be the stickler. You want to be the guy that sits there and pouts and screams and makes it a hard time for everybody and delays the flight even longer and drags it out. Some people out there are going to say, well, absolutely. Absolutely, I'll do that. Okay, whatever. That's the one aspect. And he's, by the way, watch the video because this guy is over dramatic. This is uh, this is just my seat, my right. I paid money. All right, well, you're going to get a refund. I know it's an inconvenience and all that. You're going to get a refund. And and then put on a show for everybody around you. So scream, make them drag you out. Uh, your head gets hit on on the uh, on one of the uh, armrests of a chair nearby. That bloodies you up. I'm not for character assassination here. I'm I'm really not. But that guy purposely, in my book at least, anyway, purposely drug that out to get something more out of it to to make United pay, if that makes sense. That's what I believe. Now, were the officers unjustified in doing that? I uh, that's a different debate. Pretty much, the officers were called by United and told to remove this guy. That that was it. So, I'm not going to just pin it on the officers for dragging a guy off. They 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 they, were, they responded to a request, and what's their job, in that sense? I guess you know, do whatever is asked of you by the company. I don't know. Now let's flip the script. United should have just kept upping the cash offer because guess what? At this point, you can get up to about ten thousand dollars, and at some point between eight hundred and ten thousand dollars, somebody's gonna say, you know what? I'll take it. Especially if it's cash, especially if it's money that you could use for, for whatever, if it was like a gift card or, or a Visa debit card or something like that. If we're talking about cash money, somebody's going to take that. Somebody's going to, you know, they're going to be like, well, they're going to be like, well, crap. I, I don't have my flight home now, but I have $5,000 in my pocket or whatever. You keep upping the offer and somebody's eventually going to take it. And, mind you, it'll come to be way less of a cost than what it's going to cost them now because there's several websites reporting that they're at a 700 to 800 million dollar loss because of this now uh, on, of course on top of all this united is saying that the flight wasn't overbooked that they needed to accommodate their employees that's another argument this is just a pure example of don't watch a viral video online and draw your conclusions. Wait a couple days for things to play out and for things to come to light. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with United in this case. But at the same token, I'm not going to say that this guy, this passenger, is, is on a clean slate and was totally in the right either. I just don't... I, it's a black and white world that people are trying to paint. And really, there are a few things that are so black and white. 
Most of it is endless gray in between. So United, <laughs> thanks to that, is dealing with uh, its own headaches and problems and shortcomings, and all the other airlines right now are benefiting from it because just Google this shit. There are stupid, funny memes going around that are coming from people, but are coming from places like Southwest <laughs> because this is the perfect time to say, hey, United sucks. You want to fly with us. Capitalism at its finest. And as for this passenger who overdramatically screams and kicks like a little baby and then runs back on the plane screaming, just kill me, just kill me. Again, more overdramatic stuff and dragging things out. You've been off. You've been removed from the plane now. You're going to run back on and cause even more of a chaotic scene just because, I mean, granted, maybe he was wronged, but does that mean you drag it out? And, and no. I don't think so. I don't think so. So United's going to pay in its own way for that. Among other things that happened over the course of this last week, um, the Senate went nuclear and confirmed Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. You can say that the Republicans did it all you want. In fact, Harry Reid and the Democrats uh, just years ago did the same thing for lower court appointments. So again, it's more of this tit-for-tat government pissing contest that we have. Think about this, man. The Democrats put up this front. Now, again, the Republicans did it with Merrick Garland. All right, you don't, you don't even give the man a hearing. You stand on uh, whatever, whatever they want to argue. Okay, so they didn't give Merrick Garland a hearing at all. They hold off. A lot of things had to fall into place and work out perfectly for this whole Neil Gorsuch thing to play out. Think about it. They had to, A, they had to stand together and not give Merrick Garland any hearing whatsoever, which lasted months. I don't know how Congress came together and did something that long, effectively blocking an Obama nominee to the Supreme Court. So there was that. They then needed Donald Trump, who was at slim odds to, to win the election, to win the election. Then they needed to hope that Donald Trump was going to stick to his list of proposed candidates to fill that vacancy on the Supreme Court. He provided a list of, I think, 20 or 30 names. Something along those lines. So... They had to bank on all that falling into place. And then they had to bank that they would be willing to fire off the nuclear option in the Supreme Court, if they even had to. It was actually a drag to figure out whether or not it was going to come to that. And then they had to stand together and go ahead with that nuclear option and, uh, and, and push forward the nominee. Now, am I happy about how it happened? Not really. I don't like these uh, these stingy drug-out contests where you end up changing the rules of the Senate and, and, and things like that. And it makes me wonder who's going to end up paying for it. Now, right now, I would say the Democrats are going to end up paying for it because you have Donald Trump in for a four-year term. No matter how much people want to sit here and say, 
impeach, 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 until he's actually impeached, until that actually happens, which I would say right now, I mean, yes, there's troubling things going on with this whole Russia business, and, and we'll get to that in a minute, but to sit here and say he's going to be impeached, so don't worry about it, he's going to be impeached, well, then you just have Mike Pence take over. And you still have a Republican majority in in the House and the Senate. And what are you going to do is, is the point I'm getting at. So you still have a four-year Republican term here. Possibly more vacancies coming to the Supreme Court. And guess who just got rid of the filibuster? It's not there anymore. There's no point in filibustering. You just need a simple majority. Therefore, if the Republicans are in control and people want to talk about the Supreme Court going conservative, it just went conservative, whether you like it or not. Now, that beg- that brings me back to the arguments that I've been making over and over again. That is that the Supreme Court is not a super legislator. The Supreme Court isn't actually creating laws, nor should they be. Nor should any laws coming into play now be uninterpretable, if that makes sense. It, we shouldn't be sitting here saying, like, what does this law mean? The law should be written very plainly, understood pretty much very well, and bills for these laws shouldn't be numerous pages long that need deciphering. It should be pretty cut and dry, understanding and understandable. If anybody doesn't agree with that, I would ask why you don't agree with it that way or why you don't see it that way. Because it's like we've built up this system to support other facets. Like, like no, you can't make a plain language law because then you'll get rid of lawyers or something. I, I, I don't understand. We're in 2017. Okay, there is some vagueness in the Constitution, and you pretty much take away the vagueness by meeting, debating, and then passing amendments, adding to or taking away from the Constitution. And some of the bare principles of the Constitution should be unshakable and untouchable, like the First Amendment should be unshakable and untouchable. Okay, and the First Amendment is freedom of speech, uh, freedom of religion, freedom of press. Okay, if we have this conversation, somebody's bound to stand up and say, separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution. It just says that there will be no state church, meaning that the government's not going to establish a church and say, you have to follow it. That's separation of church and state. That's coming from a guy who is not all churchy, churchy, church. I'm telling you right now. That's part of the problem with this whole Supreme Court thing is people are looking at it and saying, no, we need progressive, ideologic people who are going to side with the little man. This isn't about siding with a business or a little man or anything. It's literally about having a spirit of the law, a letter of the law, and ensuring that that law is not violated or that right isn't violated. That's the long and the short of it. So, Senate goes nuclear on that. Speaking of going nuclear, President Donald Trump authorizes a hit on a Syrian government-controlled airfield 
following an apparent chemical weapons attack in Syria. I believe it was sarin gas. Videos flooded the internet of, of children and citizens in the sarin gas twitching, convulsing, suffocating to death and dying. People watch these videos and are uh, quite obviously you watch something like these videos and you are horrified. I think there are a few things worse than seeing the evils of mankind played out through warfare. Whether it's chemical weapons attacks, uh, explosions, guns, whatever it is, people just acting out of pure hatred and slaughtering people is, is... I don't even think there's really words or a string of words that can convey how, horrid, how, how horrendous it is. How vile, how evil... How disgusting it is. It's a terrible thing. And let's face it. We live on a terrible planet. With a terrible. Wave of mankind. Yes there's good people out there obviously. Yes. We aren't the most. Corrupt. Well, actually, we are. We are the most corrupt species ever incepted. All that being said, emotions and tensions are high when you watch a video like that, obviously. When news breaks like that, you th- it's, like you, you, it's like you focus on the last big story that happened. And it makes you wonder, you know... God, how how screwed up is humanity and what's coming next? And I think one of the worst things about it is that if you go... The, the internet is the worst thing on the face of the planet. It's a beautiful thing that we have in the internet with the information sharing and all that and the social media and the, connective, the connectiveness and all that. It is also probably mankind's biggest downfall. Whether it's just trolls or stupid people or hateful comments. Donald Trump decides to strike the Syrian airfield. Government-controlled, Assad-controlled government airfield. Okay, Donald Trump decides this with his cabinet or whatever. Doesn't consult Congress, doesn't consult anybody else. News reports say that we tipped off Russia and said, hey, we're going to hit this airfield. There was Russians near the airfield, mind you. But that's beside the point. We strike it. We hit it with over 50 U.S. Tomahawk cruise missiles. Mattis comes out uh, today or yesterday and says that we destroyed about 20% of the Syrian um, Air Force, which seems pretty negligible to me at, at 20%. But... The thing is, is that the commentaries are off the hook right now for it because there is actually no, I guess, direct evidence linking 
aside to pulling the trigger on dropping this gas. There's a lot of people, Tulsi Gabbard for one, Rand Paul for one, Ron Paul for one, uh, Michael Savage. I mean, yeah, some of them are conspiracy theories, false flag people, and the like. But it really, it does beg the question, though. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Did Assad actually pull the trigger and drop this gas on his people? And you have a lot of different commentaries. They had a a, a gentleman from Syria on CNN uh, just a couple days ago literally thanking Donald Trump for doing something and saying that they don't want to be refugees. They want their home back. And you have... You have that aspect. You have the aspect of people say, praising Donald Trump, saying he did the right thing by bombing this country and, quote, doing something about all the chaos. But those are the same people that would say, don't take in any refugees, period. You also have Russia now pushing against the grain, which our, our, our relationship with Russia is in the shitter anyway. Totally in the crapper, being flushed down the toilet constantly. It was over this original Trump connections. And now, if you thought that Trump had Russia connections and was buddy-buddy with Putin, I would say it's clear now that he's not. Either that or he's striking against the grain to appear that he's not because Putin and Russia aren't very happy with us. We are now in a huge international standoff over a country that's not even ours. Over people that aren't even our people. That's why I like to be a little bit skeptical and, 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 and err on the side of caution and not preemptively strike anything, especially when the threat to America is minimal. Part of the whole thing of warfare and and driving on into it is is what are your interests in it? Is it for your defense or are you are you driving a humanitarian effort on behalf of other people? And is it even wanted? Listen to uh, listen to this clip from Rampal. You know, my first concern is this is why we should have a deliberate discussion. This is why this should originate in Congress. This is why our founding fathers said under the Constitution that war should be debated fully by Congress, initiated and declared by Congress. But the president really doesn't have the authority under the Constitution to initiate war. And so I think what we're doing now is illegal and unconstitutional. And the ramifications could be extreme. They may not. But there is a great danger in bumping up against another nuclear power. Do you think that President Trump should now appear literally before Congress, explain what he's done or what he wants to do, and ask for authorization? Is that where you're coming from? Yeah, the only way the president is allowed to act unilaterally is to prevent an imminent attack or to respond to an imminent attack. Even when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, FDR came the next morning and asked Congress for approval before he did anything. You don't approve of this, do you? You don't approve of the launch of those missiles? You don't approve of military action like this? I think it's unconstitutional. And then the question whether or not it is actually advisable, we should have a big, robust debate. In the Iraq war, everyone was gleeful to go after an evil dictator, Saddam Hussein. And yet, the end result was that Iran became stronger and now the same loud cries for war against Hussein are the same loud cries for war against Iran. So if we topple Hussein, no, if we topple Assad, 
What comes next? Will we like the Islamic rebels that take over? Perhaps they hate us in Israel more than Assad does. Are you starting to see a complicated picture here? Because first off, anybody anybody willing to rush off to World War III and thinks it needs to happen needs a reality check. Nobody, nobody wants World War III. Wars do not create money. Wars do not do anything other than death, destruction, and set humanity back. Is it a necessary evil sometimes? Sure. But war, first and foremost, should be in the line of defense. Should be in the line of defense. Tulsi Gabbard's coming under attack for, quote, being a Assad supporter. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, of course, had a meeting with Assad, I think it was over the summer, That she, a meeting that she felt went very well. Uh, whether or not it actually did happen, because all we have is word of mouth that, and, and proof that Tulsi flew out uh, to the Middle Eastern region. Uh, she uh, was on Tucker Carlson. Here's what she had to say. She's coming under attack, by, by the way, by Democrats uh, and Republicans alike. It, it, it's a smaller group that say, it's a smaller group of people and, and, and uh, congressmen and women who think that Trump made the wrong call so brashly going and, and dropping these bombs um, without consult, without really regard to it. Now he's pushing buttons with North Korea as well. Uh, but let, listen to this clip from Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, first of all, in your intro, I just want to make a correction. I'm not a defender of Assad. I didn't go to Syria to meet with Assad. It was not even part of the plan initially. I went oh. there to visit with the Syrian people to uh, share uh, the care, the, the love and the aloha that the people of our country have for them and to see the situation on the ground for myself. Uh, when the opportunity presented itself to meet with President Assad, I took it simply because I believe that if we profess to care for the Syrian people, if we want to end the suffering for them, we have to be willing to meet with whomever we need to uh, in order to accomplish that. And, and that was much of what I discussed with him in that meeting, was how do we get to a place where we can end this war, where uh, the terrorists in his country can be defeated, terrorists like al-Qaeda and ISIS and all of these other groups that are working with them, uh, and make it so that the Syrian people are able to, to move on with their lives, to make it so that the Syrian refugees who have fled Syria to not only the Middle East, but Europe and other parts of the world, are able to return home. So, I mean, but what do you say about U.S. policy? I mean, you, you spoke to him. Again, not many people have done that recently. Is he open to some sort of alliance with the United States, assuming the Trump administration is open to that as well? What did, what did Assad say to you? Uh, I think he is looking uh, for what our president, new president, Donald Trump, would see as a shared interest with him, with Syria. Uh, and the shared interest that he has seen is this commitment to defeating ISIS, this commitment to defeating uh, this terrorist threat that not only uh, exists for the people of Syria, but it exists for the Middle East and for the world. And if uh, this threat continues to grow, uh, it's something, again, that becomes uh, even more real than it is already for the American people. Now, why, why do you think that the entire foreign policy establishment in Washington, really on a bipartisan basis, and certainly the Obama administration, put toppling the Assad regime at the top of the priority list. 
you know, it's unfortunate, but it continues uh, a track record of foreign policy decisions that the United States has made, even in the recent past, beginning with Iraq and toppling the uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, with Libya and toppling Gaddafi, uh, and now in Syria. So again, while you're thinking about what's going on in Syria, what American course of action should be, it's time to ask yourself, are you a constitutionalist or are you not? And if you're not, then what do you want America to evolve into? Uh, that's another reason that, t that tying that back into the fact that I'm reading this book, Gods and Generals. Gods and Generals, if you don't know what that book is, or who Jeff Shahara or Michael Shahara are. Michael Shahara wrote The Killer Angels, which is the story of the Battle of Gettysburg, which was turned into the movie Gettysburg, uh, with the source material being... The Killer Angels. Uh, Gods and Generals is about how the nation fell into civil war and civil unrest. And a lot of these same questions are being asked. Um, it, it, is, it is actually staggering. It's just the fact that it's not a civil war here anymore. It's warfare across the globe. And whether or not America should be the world police and whether or not it's right for America to be the world police. That's a whole different bag of debates, but while you're thinking about Syria specifically, ask yourself some questions, because it's not black and white. Uh, as with anything in life, I know I said that earlier in the episode, it's not black and white, and in Syria, it's definitely farthest from black and white. Ever. Things were just getting ready to start wrapping up in Syria, kind of. It was it was it was talks of America pulling back and hey Assad you got to figure this out it's your it's your land how are you going to take control of it yada 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 America can't always just swoop in drop bombs level a place instill a new democratic government and expect it to work in a region of the world that is different from us that's the core that I've slowly been uncovering and finding Syria the Middle East, all these all these countries and nations and, and what have you, they're not like us. They're different people, different culture, different lines of thinking. And guess what? America does not always know best. America just can't keep sweeping in, bombing, invading countries, taking them over and saying, hey, citizens, here you go. And then walking away and hoping that things just you know, stay on the level, that things toe the line. It's really start it's it's really time to start asking, what is the American interest? Are we doing this alone or is the world interested in it as well? And finally, is our help being asked for or solicited? I realize that in the past we have intervened and made things all hunky dory better better. But at the same token it's a different day and age, and you need to learn from the past. You need to learn from history, or you're doomed to repeat it. And it seems that now we're at that doomed-to-repeat-it level. It's not totally gone yet, but we're there. And so the steps forward really need to be thought out, debated, and talked about. 
and we all need to pay attention and really stick to our guns because the outcome isn't necessarily what we want it to be. And that's going to do it for me for this week. Thanks for bearing with me because I'm dealing with some kind of sickness. That, of course, would happen coming back from vacation and having to go back to prison. That did, that did hand in hand. Hand in hand. Guys, thanks for listening. Like this, share this, comment, share it to the world. Twitter at FritzQS and on Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. Love you all. See you next week.